What's going on? Welcome to Totally Blitz Podcast. We're about to break down UFC London and all that went down over there across the pond. But as always, before we go into it, go down, like, and subscribe. Comment your thoughts on the card. Comment your thoughts on Molly. Comment your thoughts on Tom and everything in between. As always, is your host. I'm Paul Pickle I'm Contra. I got the doink on me. Who's with me? You already know it's your boy Kev with the luscious fresh raid style by Tori. Get out my dog. She don't play. Got me looking all nice and long haired for the fights this week. It's an incredible week of fights, Paul. But it's your boy Kev Waterboy Savoy, aka the Don Pyre, always known as the realest on your screen. And boy, it was a great week. It's a great week. It was a great night of fights. You know, we got a great week of fights coming ahead to us, but we got to come to y'all with the recap. Paul, we talking UFC in London. My dog, Tom Aspinall, is back, baby. And I'm, after, what, 364 days? He looks good as good as ever, too. I'm not going to lie. I kind of was on it. He's a mauler. He's a mauler. He's just so quick on his feet. But I'm not going to lie to you, pal. I was doing some super cool secret stuff with some really cool people meeting, doing some really, really nice stuff. And I only saw the last four fights. So plug me in, man. How was the card? Card was pretty good, bro. I'm like, I'm so upset because I had a three leg parlay that would have paid like 10 to 1 plus 1,000 odds. And oh, I wow. wasn't able to put it in. Like, I literally put the money into my account. Was I had the parlay made, and then I had to drive to work. And I was like, oh, I still got time because the fights don't start till later. I'm at work, and I just got busy doing work shit. And then all of a sudden, it's like 6 o'clock, and I'm like, fuck. I never put that bet in. Well, it's, it probably didn't cash anyway. I go check. It would have cashed. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I would have. Um, but it, it started off with like a, the Ketlin Vieira. We kind of hit on her with the Holly Holmgren submitted by Bruno Silva. And the potential fight for her was Ketlin Vieira. If she was going to beat Pinay Kanazad at UFC London, she got the name decision. Kind of, I won't say made it look easy, but it was a very good fight. I feel like everyone, this is like she had 11 minutes of control time. She was like, oh, wow. top game, very dominant. And she just continues to piece these wins together as she's now she's in the top three rankings. Like she's right up there with Bruno Silva. For the, in my opinion, who should be the next title shot after um, when they figure out who's gonna fight for the vacant belt, and uh, it was picking odds. That was gonna be one of my legs of the parlay. I didn't get the cash, but I mean, she looked good as ever. I want to see her against Bruno Silva. I don't want to see her in a title fight against Pena or Pennington or something. I I just think, uh, like even though Vieira's on a nice win streak too, I think Omara Bruno Silva has a better. Uh, pedigree of wins, like the people that she's beaten are a little bit more of the cream of the crop than what Kellen Vieira has. But I mean, I'm not trying to take it. It's just, I just like to see the new talent in the weight class, also. Nice, nice, nice. I am a big, I, you know, I support Kellen Vieira, but 11 minutes of control time is insane. Yeah. And like, but I think Connie's, I, I, I know I'm butchering the name, so I'm sorry, but she was on, like, she came off the, uh, what was it? The ultimate fight and ultimate. Yeah, she was the ultimate fighter. She lost to Macy Chase Young in the ultimate fighter. And then she went on a win one, lose one, but then was on a nice little and her last like seven fights or her last six fights, it was four and two. And her only losses uh were to Raquel Pennington, 
which is the number one contender underneath Pena right now. And then she had the other loss now to Kellen Vieira. So, like, she's still, like, as the ultimate fighter 28 uh, finalist, like, she still seems like if she can get the ground game kind of fixed up, she can do really well because her on the feet, she was piecing up Kellen Vieira. So, like, I mean, it's still a good win, but, like, I don't put – Hanzan in the same win category as Holly Holm. You know what I mean? Facts, 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 facts. And then our our next one that um oh I almost forgot. I don't have anything for the you called the shit part of the thing just because we ain't make no calls. We made some calls, but where they didn't go through. All right, we went straight to voicemail. They went straight to voicemail. <laughs> the but I do have the egg on your head trophy, which does go to me. And a back-to-back, this is like a double-decker egg. This is Humpty Dumpty egg. I said Tom Aspinall was going to have the toughest fight of his life so far. I said we'll see him get tested. I was telling people to hammer it over one round, over one and a half, over two rounds. And it has nothing to do with Tybeer or his skill. It just, Tom Aspinall just looks like a fucking world beater out there so far. Everyone that he's had to fight outside of Curtis Blade. And then the other egg on the head was the Molly fight. I was hating on Molly, but I was like, oh, this is the fight that they're fucking, they're giving her a trash can. The person she's fighting is one in four against UFC fighters, and her one win is against somebody who got kicked out the UFC. So, like, yeah. like for a co-main event slot, they are setting her up to win. So, not even an egg on my head, but egg on her. Like, they set you up to win this fight easily, and you just got, you got armbarred. And that shit was terrible because she was doing all that extra at the way it. One thing I've noticed is that you do extra at the way and you probably get your ass. So we'll see what we'll see what's up with Molly. But let's get back into the recap. I had to point out those two eggs. And then uh, uh a little bit one fight of the night, but definitely was one of the bangers on the prelims. The one I said would be fight of the night, Machina mirrored off, getting the damage decision win over Brian Barbarinum. Knocked Barbarina's ass down twice. Like I was telling you, bro, his boxing and stand-up is just so fucking crisp. Knocked him down twice. Not only did that, he took him down. He took a, he had shot a couple takedowns. I don't think I've ever seen Miradoff shoot a takedown. Took Brian Barber into the ground. It's absolutely just mauled him. 30-27s across the board. Oh, wow. Hey, you said this was supposed to be fighting tonight? I mean, it was fun. I was enjoying it. 13 of 16 takedowns. With two knockdowns from here at all. Showing he's adding new layers to the game. Not only is he going to stand up with you, but 13 of 16 takedowns. God dang. I respect it. I had to do a hair with. Hair with. And then, uh, you, uh, then we can jump right up into, honestly, we can jump right up into Paul Craig. First fight out middleweight. Where he gets the TKO KO over Andre Munoz. And I don't know what the odds were for Paul Craig to get a KO, but probably astronomical if I could take a guess. Like I'm say, he was the dog in this fight too, heavy. That was the other leg of my parlay. It was gonna be Ketlin, Miradoff, and Paul Craig. Ouch. But yeah, he looked awesome in this fight. Now this fight I did watch. So yeah, you could have made the argument that he lost the first round, but when I've learned that if you don't want to see Paul, Paul Craig on bottom, you definitely don't want to see him on top. When he transitioned from the um, to side control, and he did that like three that three like sixty like 
don't know what he did. He did like a smooth <laughs> ass shit. Like that shit was crazy clean. And then got into him, got the head. And then I thought he was gonna submit him. He tried a couple different submissions because you know Paul Craig, but he just started handing them elbows out, and the ref said you gotta go. Yeah, and Andre Mute, like I I know like we were expecting a Paul Craig sub, at least I was, but like I wasn't expecting it. I just thought his way of winning would be a sub. But uh, Andre Munoz, 15-1. He's only been submitted once in his whole career, and it was his last fight against Brandon Allen, who we keep seeing leveling up. So, like, great fighter to lose to. Gets knocked out by uh, Paul Craig, but the point I'm making is, outside of Brandon Allen, he was 15-0 and 0 on submissions. He was the one doing the submissions, and quite a, often, black belt, BJJ, but, like, a certified black belt at BJJ. So for like Paul Craig on them scrambles to kind of still get his way, like I, I've been telling people like he's he's in a class of his own when it comes to like BJJ at like in this uh, well I guess now at the middleweight divisions, he's in a class and of he, his own. And he doesn't look terrible. They said at first in the first round it looked like there was a um a strength difference, but he doesn't look terribly like sucked up, like terribly like stuck. Like he looks like he can get to that weight and then learn how to like. Feel himself out around that, but like, shout out Paul Craig for looking dominant in the fucking well, not dominant, looking really, really good in the new division. Just cutting all that extra weight, he looked good on his feet. On top, he was a menace. He, he never, never had offensive off. wrestling skills or wrestling skills to begin with, but now that he seems to be the bigger guy at middleweight, like he has the weight advantage coming from light heavyweight, I think that's gonna help up open up his game a little bit more. If the weight cut doesn't affect him, I was gonna say, did he get a double leg takedown? Uh, yeah, no, he got both his takedowns in this fight. But uh, like, we saw him against Tiago Santos shooting takedown, couldn't get it. Uh, the Uzumir fight shooting takedowns, couldn't get it. He started resorting to butt scooting. Like he just doesn't, he doesn't really have the off. He has the BJJ once it hits the mat. He just can't really get you to the mat. Mm-hmm. Now at middleweight, where he has the extra 15, 20 pounds weight difference, I think. It probably will help out his wrestling game to open up the BJJ that's his strong suit. No, that's real shit, man. But yeah, shout out Paul Craig. You think you can make some noise in middleweight? Middleweight is wide open, bro. They don't. But middleweight's wide open. I say that where like you can get ranked into the top fifteen, but nothing's easier than light heavyweight right now and on paper. So, like, if you couldn't get that – I mean, he had his run, don't get me wrong. He was right there knocking on the door. I mean, Sean Strickland could get a fucking title shot. Paul Craig was probably in a good conversation, too. But, yeah, he just be a top 15 guy. Yeah, so, I mean, I wouldn't – like, I think it helps him. But if you couldn't get it done at light heavyweight, I don't know how what your ceiling really is. I can respect you. But on to the next one. The man with the good wood. Oh, my gosh. The I was going to call it fight of the night, but this guy. You giving Wood the fight of the night? I'm giving Nathaniel Wood fight of the night. No, The word good did not come in that sentence at all. <laughs> Damn, you saying he got bad wood? <laughs> let him know. I hate this guy, man. America, never let – not mine world never let you think otherwise <laughs> but no nah, man this was a great fucking fight i mean it started off going back and forth immediately i mean what nate wood got nathaniel wood got dropped like 
what, 20 seconds? Not job, but he got cracked like 20 seconds into the fight, 20, 30 seconds into the fight. And next thing you know, he's like winning that fucking round, cracking, bro, fucking laying off haymakers, hitting his ass, hitting his ass, hitting his ass. Overwhelming, dude. And then for Felijo, if that's how you say his name, Felipe. Felipe. Felipe, Felipe motherfucking comes back. Comes back in the second round, crown, catch stomp, dazes motherfucking Nathaniel Wood, and then he starts giving it to him. But I think the difference between Nathaniel Wood and catching his time to um, take off versus him, he immediately, um, Philly immediately went for like a submission. He was trying to go rear naked choke. He backpacked him. I don't know. I think that would have been a good time to start laying off some punches. Like, Damn it. Let that bitch go. Because, like, you can make the argument that he still lost that round. Like, you could look, I wouldn't be surprised about a 30 27, but I think everybody scored 29 28. But, I, yeah, 29 28, I think it's universal right now. Mm-hmm. But, motherfucking, that was a, now this fight's a banger to Slavonok, and we're going into the third round 1 1. And I think they slowed down the pace. Both of them slowed down the pace, and the thing would just got way more punches, or at least went, landed more significant strikes. And the last like, yeah, and I really feel like they realized they could both they both had enough power to really hurt each other. So like this had to be smart. And this is kind of weird, but not weird, but like Philly is not known for power. Audrey Philly, like I was breaking it down, he had like the reach advantage. He was like six inches taller. He's always just been a tall guy at Featherweight. So like he always boxes from the outside and kind of just tags you and stuff like that. We'll shoot a takedown here and there. But so that's why when it was he was a big dog, and that's why I was hyping him up, and that was one of my picks as one of my dogs as Feely, just because I thought he was gonna be able to use that reach and stuff. Wood showed me that like even if you have the reach advantage, he will still blitz you. He will still connect. He'll still get into his range. And but one thing I will be taking note of this is like you got dropped by somebody who don't got power in his hands. Uh oh. Like if Josh Emmett was the one in the octagon that night, bro, we would be calling. A, we would be calling the hospital for wood. And it looked like perfect punches that landed perfectly precise on the round of money because that boy Wood was leaving it open. Yeah, so I think Wood's gonna be a fun fighter. I love the nickname. I'm gonna say it every time we talk him. But I think he. I'm gonna say now. I think he's just one of them overseas guys. That ain't gonna be all that to be really like you see a lot of times in boxing, your best British boxer comes over to America or fight the Mexican or uh, this fights out of the out of the country of of England and then they kind of, their skills are shown and like you realize oh this British boxer was really good for British but he's really not a world class fighter and that's why really? I see Wood. Wood had a great hype behind him and everything he well deserved but I think as we keep rolling in more fights. He's gonna. We're gonna realize. Okay, this guy isn't who we thought he was. Same with Patty. Mm-hmm. Like same. There, there's a, there's a, quite a few on that list of British fighters. Tom is carrying right now. Tom is pulling them on the back. No rap cap. And Leon, don't forget my dog Leon. Oh, and Leon Edwards, yeah, I forget. But he's Jamaican. Yeah, that's true. But he has an English accent. <laughs> so does Franklin. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, did our co-main event, which was honestly probably your favorite, I, my favorite fight of the year, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Potentially my favorite fight of the year. But I wish I would have learned her name correctly, so I can respect her the way she deserves to be respected right now. 
Julija Storlyrinko, Armbar, Molly, Meatball, McCann, and God, am I happy, bro. Like, fucking McCann got flatlined by Aaron Blanchfield. People got over it. People were like, okay, Aaron Blanchfield's a world beater. No big deal. For you to lose to her as a co-main event, were they giving you the co-main event slot in front of your crowd, your people? She's done, bro. She is. There ain't no coming back for this from all. Not for real, bro. And the thing about it is, I'm not a BJJ expert. I'm a specialist or anything like that. But I was just watching the sequence, and I was watching her just um, trip. I'm not even going to attempt to say her name, but she when she got the takedown to just, she immediately got side control, like, and just slowly eased into it. And Molly, I don't know if that what that role was supposed to do or, like, if the, she just really was cranking down the arm that she had to let it go. I just feel like that was not the way. If you, you didn't need, I don't feel like she was skipping BJJ practice or something because, like, that submission defense wasn't all the way there. But – I see both sides of that argument on Twitter. Uh, BJJ experts came out saying Molly rolled like an idiot. What the fuck are you doing? That's the one thing you don't do in that situation. And then other BJJ experts were saying the pressure that homegirl was putting on her arm caused her to roll. So there's nothing Molly could do other than roll with it or get that bitch snapped. Nah, dead eyes. But that fight was, I knew he was lit. So I was like, I'm not even going to play with this guy. But this fight also showed me the crowd. And I was like, because at first I was rewatching it. And I was like, all right, I was going to skip the intros. But I was like, nah, let me see you meet Molly on what crowd reaction Molly got to the crowd. That bitch was empty, Paul. That shit was so motherfucking empty. Oh, my God. So many free seats. And you can see it like when they're doing the commentators. You can see it behind them, empty seats. I don't know if they changed they the prices went up. So they didn't sell out. I peeped because someone made a point of they not selling out. Look at how many you know how they did with UFC Miami. It was like a day before they posted the screenshot of how many tickets were still available. And they were like, This is all because Dana White wants to charge the money as if it's the first UFC London when we all know that this card fucking sucks and we're not gonna buy it. So a lot of tickets are available still, but honestly, you could get section one hundred tickets for like a hundred bucks, which I thought weren't really that expensive for section one hundred. For a hundred bucks, section one hundred in London, I didn't think it was too expensive. So maybe the car would just stunk that bad. No one was willing to spend a hundred for section one hundred tickets. Yeah, I mean they didn't bring the hitters. They even brought like the C team for the announcers. It was like Paul Felder, Michael Bisping, and somebody else. I was like, oh, you guys. Whenever John Anikra is in there, I'm already like, oh y'all, y'all over here just scraping the barrel. They tried to, they gave Michael Bill, Michael Michael Bisping a tribute, which I guess they do every UFC London now. That was pretty cool, but yeah, that shit was embarrassing. I'm not gonna lie to you, that shit was empty. They wasn't because I was talking shit. I was like, see, I knew Molly wasn't shit because she ain't even getting love in her own city. <laughs> I'm just gonna say, but Molly's been in UFC since 2018, bro. People keep forgetting that. She's old. Like, she yeah. just really looks old in the face. But, like, hey, shout out her, man. She's won eight fights, lost seven. But shout out the eight she's won. Shout out them seven. <laughs> so, the one carrying the car. And does imagine being a, a British fan. I'm not sure what the traffic's like in, at near the O2 arena. But could you imagine if you show up just for the main event? Like, I'm showing up just for the Tom Aspinall. Like, 
like many people did apparently because the crowd was empty. Everyone shows up, it fights over, like walk out, fight over, everything's done, five minutes or less. But I couldn't imagine that. I couldn't imagine paying for parking, probably buying a t-shirt on the way in, getting a beer, take two sips of my beer, fight over, time to go home, everybody. Upset, upset. But like the energy when Tom Aspinall comes out is crazy. It was a different event. That was a yeah. pay-per-view. Tom Aspinall, pay-per-view fighter. Rest of these people, no. Facts. And Tybura wasn't even um Tybura's not even bad either. He's the known person a little bit. And he just caught he just caught up. He just happened to fight that guy. But I don't know if it was the how how much power Tom has or how crisp his boxing is. But it was like everything that landed like starts the fight, head kick. Fucking where the fuck am I? Fucking comes back into a little jab down the middle. Fucking oh, I gotta get the fuck out of here. Taking like five, six step and seven, eight steps backwards. I like I was like, yo, Tibera is like these these shots when they land, it's damaging him. Nah, dead ass. And I think it's the footwork. I think it's the fact that he can just move. He has the power like that. He has the precision. But he can just move so smooth and so gracefully like a lightweight because of his training partners. And that mixed with somebody that just is kind of that continue to grow with the IQ and get smarter and more precise. Oh, man. I love watching Tom Aspinall fight. One thing I'm telling you, I'm going to catch. See, when Tom Aspinall finally gets a passport, I'm going to see that boy fight in America. <laughs> Tom Aspinall, I'm going to ask you to rank these three heavyweights. Tom Aspinall, Sergey Pavlovich, Cyril Gaunt. You know what's crazy? I thought it would, I knew you was going to ask those three, and I thought it would have been rude if I just did it while you were talking, so I waited. <laughs> I was getting no, so Jelton Almeida in there, too, but I think he's still wet behind the ear. Me, personally, number one. No, my number one for sure is Sergey. Number two would be Tom Aspinall. Number three would be gone. And I would be proven after I'm Sergey beats gone. But my favorite is my favorite is Tom Aspinall. I'm always rooting for Tom Aspinall. I've always rooted for Tom when I was just learning UFC and everything, getting into it, like showing my showing my fucking rookiness in the sport. But like two years ago, and one of the videos that popped up on YouTube, like you watch a couple of UFC videos, and they know your whole algorithm is UFC based videos. So one of the thing was just like Tom Aspinall, next next heavyweight prospect drinking beers, answering questions. And I was just watching. I was like, this guy's a dude. This guy's funny as hell. He was just drinking some pints at the bar. And I was like, oh, I can root for a guy like this. Next thing I know, he just whips out like three, four wins in a row, all by devastating fashion. And I was like, oh, this is Tom Aspinall. Facts. Shout out Tom Aspinall. Coming back strong, looking great. And the energy was awesome in the arena. Yeah, only for him, though. <laughs> only for him, bro. It was a different event when he when he got on stage, bro. He brought that Facts. bitch to life. Facts. But... All right, bro. Everyone stay tuned. Next, we still got uh next episode uh coming this week will be the picks for UFC. What is it, Kev? What's the UFC 291? Poirier versus Gaethje. Terrence Crawford versus Earl Spence Jr. Picks coming out later this week. And we're going to talk to you. Anyway, dominating win 
over Fulton over in Japan early Tuesday morning will be brought up as well in that episode. So the stay tuned. I mean, it's probably the best week of combat sports and the longest time. And I don't, I don't want to say anything, but I'm just going to say a long time. Hey, that's a bet, man. Hey, but we flying out this motherfucker, you feel me, man? If you didn't know, I don't mind telling you again that I'm Kev Waterbuster, boy. I'm in this bitch with Paul Pickham Winner concert. We get into the bag. We going, we making moves. And we wanted you to know that this is a Totally Blitz podcast and that you and everybody that's not making no money, that ain't got no motion with you, is a bitch.